Well, I'm excited. I, uh, if those of you who've been here for a while, um, I just ended a series a couple weeks ago um, on the kingdom of God. And what I want to do today, I'm excited. I, I'm, today I'm, I'm going to share a message that is honestly one of my life messages. And so I'm always excited when I get to share it because it's so impacted my life that I just love to share it whenever I feel like the Lord wants me to. Um, you know, and sometimes I get the privilege of sharing at different places like the school of ministry in Toronto and stuff. And this is my first message that I give. And a lot of people get impacted by it because, you know, when you have a message or something that the Lord really gives you a revelation on personally, because it's so impacted you and you get to share that, you know what I mean? And so this is just something that really excites me. And uh, it's kind of funny because a couple of weeks ago I was sharing just a bit of this uh, just casually in the hospitality room with somebody and that person emailed me and was like, hey, you should do that mess. You should preach that sometime. And I, I was laughing because um, the very first time, I don't know if, if you guys would remember this, the very first time I preached here in August, it was August 23rd, 2015, I gave this message. How many of you were here for that? Not very many? Oh, like a couple. I think you two led worship, Sam and Latoya, that day. I'm not sure. You might have heard this message before. This is like a year and a half ago. So, that, so I said to the person, you know what, I've, I preached this message before. Um, and I don't know how long you should go before you preach something uh, twice. You know what I mean? But I was like, I'll pray about it. And so I, I was praying about it. And I actually felt this, this, and I didn't even think of it at the time. And I actually felt like when I was praying about what to preach this week, that the Lord wanted me to preach this message. And then I'm like, that makes a lot of sense with the new series that I'm starting. And I don't have a name for it yet. But it goes along with the theme of 2017, which is really the theme forever. But if you guys were here, how many of you were here like the first two weeks of January? January 1st, January 8th, I preached about, or essentially taught about our, our spiritual DNA, right? Our, our, the history of our movement uh, in the Holy Spirit. And so uh, if, you're, if you're here, you might remember I talked about how the, I really felt the Lord wanted this to be emphasized this year, a presence-driven life, because, you know, we're going to talk all about this, but in all honesty, that's the one defining characteristic of the people of God from beginning to end. You look at the garden, the first two chapters of Genesis, and then the last two chapters of Revelation— it's all about restoration to what we had in the garden, which is to walk with God in his presence. And I would suggest and argue that that's the one thing from beginning to end, whether you're talking about, it's the continuity from the Old to the New Testament, is that we're a people of the presence of God. And we're going to talk all about that someday. But before I go into all of that, I want to talk about something that, like I said, really impacted my life. And before I do this verse is a really amazing prayer. And Paul the Apostle prays for the people at, in Rome. And I want to start off with this. Because essentially the intention of this message, if nothing else, is to impart hope and faith. Okay? And so I always start off this message with this particular scripture, praying this over us. Because that's, that's, hope is such a powerful thing. In fact, if you look at this, he, God calls himself the God of hope, right? He, he's the God of hope. And hope is so powerful. Look at what, how it ends, that you, you need the power of the Holy Spirit to fill you with that hope. 
Hope is such a powerful thing that often gets neglected. And part of the issue is in our culture, you look at what, how we define hope, and hope is really a word for doubt. Just think about how we say it. Oh, I hope that happens. By implication, I don't think it will, right? I hope that, you know, just fill in the blank. I hope that our next government is a godly government, you know, or whatever. It's, it's almost like there's a hint of doubt when we say it. Biblical hope is the opposite of that. In fact, biblical hope is a joyful expectation of good things coming. A joyful expectation of good things coming. That's what biblical hope is. That's, it's such a virtue that over and over again throughout the New Testament, Paul lists three things that are going to remain forever. How many of you know what they are? 1 Corinthians 13, 13. What is it? Faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. But hope's always there. Now, we know, we know that love is powerful and important. We know that faith is powerful and important. But hope often gets neglected, right? Just kind of leave it in the closet like, yeah, okay, hope, whatever. But hope is really important. It's why it's talked about throughout the Bible. So I'm going to pray this over us, and then we're going to get started on this message. <laughs> that was for free. Okay. So Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you would overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Father, we thank you for that hope. And we thank you for that joy and peace, which according to the scripture are the ingredients of hope. That we would be such a joyful people, filled with your joy, filled with your peace, that we would have overflowing hope by the power of your Holy Spirit. May this message impact each and every one of us in no less in the same way it did me when I first got a hold of it. In Jesus' name, amen. So today what I want to talk about, partly... No, this is the overall theme, is raising our expectations. I'm going to say something that I believe is true. Expectancy is a synonym of faith. They're the same thing. Ex expectation is a synonymous with faith. Okay, just think about that. When I first heard, I, I think, it, yeah, it was Randy Clark who first said that. I had to think about that. And I was like, that is so true. That is so true. Expecting God to do something is faith. Now, let me tell you a story just to illustrate what I'm trying to get at. Um, back in the day, I remember listening to a message by John Arnott. If you don't know who that is, he's the leader of... Uh, Catch the Fire world. He was the, him and Carol, the pastors of Catch the Fire Toronto, where the revival happened and stuff. And I remember watching this sermon and he said something that just struck me. This is back in 2003. I was watching this years later, but he said, some people are saying that the revival is over. And for them it is. Exactly. Think about this. It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. We're talking about expectation now. You go to Toronto or wherever, not expecting God to move anymore. Guess what's going to happen? He is not, you are not going to get impacted. Pretty much guaranteed. Now, God's sovereign and sometimes he does it anyway because he's good like that. But 
The problem is, you go there, right? God's not moving like that. That was back in the 90s. You go there, nothing happened. Oh, I, I was right. God's not moving like that anymore, people. Right? Because they went not expecting. However, when I first went to Toronto, this was in 2007, the first, every first time I ever went, and I got, because I didn't know any better. <laughs> I went expecting, because for all I knew, the revival was still happening, right? And it is still happening. I just, I didn't know any better. So I just went expecting to be totally rocked, and guess what happened? Yeah, totally rocked. I, I mean, like a two-week encounter. It lasted two weeks. I got so rocked, and I, lightning of God shaking for two weeks. Like, I'd wake up shaking. I'd walk to school shaking. My office mate was an atheist, so I was, oh, the first time I went there, I was like, oh, man, she's going to think I'm crazy. But God is good. I didn't even, he just, when I, when, it's kind of funny. I'd go in the office and stop shaking. And if she would go to leave, I'd start shaking. She'd come back, I'd stop shaking. Right? God's wise. That's what Trisha was saying earlier. I was like, yes and amen. We don't have to tell the Holy Ghost what to do and what not to do because he knows. And if he's doing something when we don't want it, when we're like, he shouldn't be doing that right then. Think of the pride of that. You're saying, I'm wiser than the Holy Spirit. Is that not what you're saying? If, if the Holy Spirit's doing something and you're like, that shouldn't be happening. Let's stop it because it's going to offend people or whatever. You're saying by that, I am wise in the Holy Spirit because, Holy Spirit, you shouldn't be doing this right now, right? And so we're huge advocates of just letting him do whatever he wants. Now, that's risky because sometimes people are, are doing stuff that isn't the Holy Ghost. But it's wisdom. It is wisdom not to judge that. Think about Matthew 12. Do you guys remember? This is now we're talking about the Spirit now. What's the one unforgivable sin? Anybody? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Do you remember what they did? What, what the Pharisees did for Jesus to, to say that to them? What did they do? Exactly. Did you hear that? They said, this is of the devil. They said, this is Beelzebub casting out demons. Jesus. See, that's what they said about Jesus. And Jesus lets them have it. And he says, no way, guys. This is the Holy Spirit. And guess what? Every sin is going to be forgiven, can be forgiven, but this one thing. You speak against the Holy Spirit like that, saying what's of him is of the devil, is the one unforgivable sin. And he says, in this age and the age to come. You guys know all about that now, right, from this past series. Serious business. So if God does something weird, and good weird, it is wisdom not to say that's of the devil. Wisdom. Okay, that's not to say we should throw out our brains, right? Like, uh, what's that saying Paul Cain used to say? I forget. Oh, don't be so open-minded that your brain falls out. But you know what? All you need to do is pray about it. God, is this you? That's what John Arnett said. When it first started happening and it was crazy in Toronto, and he's like, God, how do I deal with this? Because some stuff weirds me out. It looks crazy. And you know what God said? Just ask me. <laughs> Pretty simple as it. Just ask God, is this you or should I stop this? And he'll tell you, okay? And sometimes you don't know. What I would say, if God's doing something weird that you don't understand, don't judge it. Just don't say anything. 
Just sit back and pray about it. Because you know what Jesus says right after? You're going to be acquitted or condemned on your words. For every void word that is spoken, you're going to have to give an account on judgment day. That's in that context. In the context of them saying a careless word about that's the devil when it was the Holy Spirit. That was kind of a bunny trail. Expectations. <laughs> if you go there expecting God to move, he's going to move. Because remember, expectancy is synonymous with faith. If you expect God heals, guess what? God heals. If you say God doesn't do that anymore, you're not expecting it. How many of you know God's not going to heal? Because over and over again, what's the one thing Jesus told his disciples? You have little faith. Or, if, if in some cases, whoa, you have great faith. Like to the centurion who said, Lord, just say a word and my servant will be healed. Jesus was all about faith. Okay? And so we ha it's important for us to get a hold of, okay, what does faith look like? Faith looks like expectancy. Expecting God to do stuff. Now, faith means a lot of things, but that's one facet of it, and that's a simplified definition, I believe, expectancy. So that's why I want to talk about raising our expectations. Because you know what the problem is? We get stuck in our, like, based off our experience, we come up with these, they might not even be explicit thoughts, but they become part of our belief system. Like, I've never seen God do this, therefore God doesn't do this, right? Or in my experience, God doesn't do that, so he doesn't do that. So we kind of put God in a box, and we draw lines in the sand, and we're like, okay, God will do this, but he won't do that. But how many of you know we can't, God can't be defined by our experience or lack thereof? And often God calls us and meets us on the other side of our lines that we've drawn. And he'll say, hey, come here. <laughs> come on the other side of that line. And you're like, whoa, that's outside of my frame of reference. But God often tells us to do that. That's faith. Risk. You know, you know how John Wimber used to define faith? He said, this is how faith is spelt. R-I-S-K. Risk. Risk. Oh, I could go on about this, too. Because that is so true. You need, the, you need to step out, and you, often you look foolish, okay? Because if God doesn't meet you, you look like a fool sometimes. Faith is risky. But with the greater risk, the greatest reward. I'm telling you. When you step out in faith and take that leap of faith, God meets you there, right? He likes it like that. That's how he operates, <laughs> So what we want to do is blow our, our limits that we've put on God. Okay, because we experience, right? Like I said, we might have been walking with the Lord for years. And then it's like, I've never seen the Lord do this, so he doesn't do this. And what's the problem with that? We have no expectation for him to do it then. Okay? So is he going to do it? If you have those beliefs. Beliefs are so important. So we need to expect God to do the crazy, the good crazy. <laughs> we, need, we need to blow the lids off of our expectancies because God wants to do really big things. I think we often limit God, unfortunately. 
God wants to do crazy things. He calls us to do crazy things. And we're going to get to that in a bit. Okay? I want us to yell something. In the count of three, let's yell no limits. Okay? You ready for this? One, two, three. No limits! There are, God, nothing's impossible with God. Nothing. Nothing is impossible for those who believe. There are absolutely no limits on God. None. Zero. Okay? God never stopped pouring out the wine of the Spirit. God, it's still happening, people. But a lot of people are like, oh, that was like 20 years ago. You still doing that? Been there, bought the t-shirt. Never ends. What did I say earlier? God is inexhaustible. God is infinite, right? There's always more to experience. There's always more to experience. There's always more to experience, even if we've never experienced anything. There's, right? There's always more. Or if we've experienced the most extravagant encounters, there's always more. There's always more. There's always more. And there's no limits. Okay. So the first scripture I want to talk about, many of you have heard me talk about this before, because this is, this is crazy. What I'm going to share with you today is crazy. I'm warning you. If you get a hold of this, it's crazy. How many of you believe the Bible is true? Okay, good. It looks like all of us, most of us at least. <laughs> what I love about the Bible, there's thousands of promises. And not only is there thousands of promises, there's promises about the promises. God is so cool like that. And this is like one of my favorite scriptures. And I'd encourage you to write it down and, act, and, and just meditate on this. Okay? This promise about his promises. This is from 2 Corinthians 1.20. Look at this. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. Guess what, people? What he's saying is the answer to every one of his promises is yes. It is not maybe. It's not I'll think about it. It's not no. <laughs> yes. What, why is that good news? If you find something in the Bible, like healing is for today, it's God's will to heal, right? And you, you, what you do, so what do you believe in God for? A lot of people healing, a lot of people provision. What scripture are you believing for that? Or scriptures? According to this, if you can get a hold of scriptural promises on whatever it is you're needing, the answer is yes. So all you need to do is find some promises in the Bible. Right? Isaiah 53, 3 to 5. By Christ's stripes, you're healed. 1 Peter 2, 24. By Christ's stripes, we were healed. Past tense. Guess what? It's not maybe. It's not I'll think about it. Yes. Okay? Yes to all of his promises. Yes in Christ. Now, notice it does go on. We have a part to play in this. It says, and so through him, the what? Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. So what do we need to do? Amen. We need to come into agreement and say, amen. 
let it be done. Right? So we do have a part to play. Coming into agreement. But think about, now, if you actually believe this verse, what I'm going to share with you today is going to blow your mind. Okay? Because all of the answers to everything I'm going to share is yes. Now, let me say this, though. He never gives a timeline. So it's not a matter of if. It is a matter of when, maybe. Okay? Think about Abraham, the father of our faith. How many, does anyone remember how many years it took him to get the the fulfillment of the promise? 25 years. 25 years. In fact, (laughs) how many of you remember what happened when he kind of started wavering in his faith? Does anyone by the name of Ishmael come to mind? How many of you realize we're still dealing with that? Yeah. That... Him acting in the flesh. Galatians 4 talks about that. That was the son of the flesh trying to make it happen. Okay? That's a lesson to us. That we, when God promises something, he's going to fulfill it. We got to believe him till the end and not try and make it happen on our own strength. Because bad things could come from that. Let me move on. So... What I'm going to do is just share some crazy scriptures. And I'm, you, whenever I say crazy, it's a good crazy. Okay? For those of you who are like, wait, you're calling the scriptures crazy? Good crazy. This is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saying this. Okay, this is John 14, 11 to 14. This is Jesus. How many of you know Jesus doesn't lie? Yeah? Right? He is the personification of truth. So that's why I like quoting Jesus. if he doesn't lie and he's the son of God and he's the personification of truth of the word of God, when he says something, how many of you know it's true? So let let me just quote some stuff he says. Okay, John 14, 11 to 14. Believe me when I say that I'm in the Father and the Father's in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Verily, truly, I tell you, Whoever believes in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these. Let's have a Selah moment. What did Jesus just say? Okay, let me ask you something. Who believes in Jesus? Okay, so this is to all of us. Right? Because he says, whoever believes <laughs> in me, which we all do, not only are you going to do the works I've been doing, you're going to do greater works than these. Whoa. Greater works than Jesus Christ. How many of you can think about some crazy things Jesus did? Jesus walked on water, commanded storms to stop, raised the dead, cast out demons, healed the sick, on and on and on and on. What's he saying? We are, if we believe, going to do greater works than him. This, remember, what scripture is read? All of these promises are yes. There's, there's no excuse. Jesus says this, right? It's true. Okay, because he says, because I'm going to the Father. Then look at this. If that wasn't enough, he says, and I will do 
Whatever you ask in my name. Let's say whatever. Whatever. Does he say some things? Or I'll think about it? Maybe? No. Whatever. Whatever means whatever. So whatever you ask for in prayer, in his name, what's Jesus' promise? He's going to do them. Okay? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Answered prayer glorifies the Father. He says that more than once. It's amazing. So he actually wants to answer your prayers. Go figure. So that the Father would be glorified. Now, now oh, 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 he doesn't end there, though. What's he say now? You may ask me for anything. Say anything. Does he say some things? Anything. In my name and what? I will do it. Whatever you ask for, anything, and you're going to do greater works than these. Says Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the personification of truth. Raising our expectations. No limits. Right? There's no limits on this. He doesn't put any qualifications on this. No limits. Okay, well, let's go to another gospel. This is Mark eleven twenty two to 24. Have faith in God. Talking about faith, Jesus answered. Then he says, truly I tell you, if anyone, say anyone. Anyone. How many of you are anyone? Okay, good. I'm glad you're part. Okay, so we're all anyone. Says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen, it will be done for them. Whoa. How many of you seen mountains move? You have? Oh, you have? Wow, you got to tell us about that later. Yeah, look at that. No limits. And you know, there's stories in history about the ver that very thing. The Coptic church, you ask any Coptic, they know the story about the mountain that moved, and there's a whole people, they were Muslims who converted because of it back in the day. Like, th this isn't out of the realm of possibility. But my, my, my point is what? Anybody who says to this mountain. Now, what's the condition? There is a condition here. What who doesn't doubt in their heart, right? So he goes on to say, therefore I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you've received it, and it will be yours. Whatever, anything, no limits, says Jesus Christ, the Son of God. The, now, why is this important about expectations? Because we, we cannot, right, as long as we don't doubt in our hearts, and that's what the problem is. We don't expect, now I haven't seen mountains move either. Believe me, I'm preaching myself today too. That's why I like preaching this message, because I get to hear myself say it again. <laughs> to remind myself of these things. Because we need to be reminded once in a while, don't we? About this kind of stuff. Because it's true. It's completely true. And we're crazy enough to believe it, right? So if it's true then we just need to believe it. We need to raise our expectations and remind ourselves and meditate on these truths. In fact, I would, I would encourage you to take some of these scriptures home and just meditate on them, declare them, believe them, because they're true. 
And if you can get to that place where you don't doubt in your heart. And Jesus isn't, he's not, he's not thinking small here, is he? He's not saying, hey, if you say to this uh, pencil, go move a few centimeters, it's going to move. No, he's going for mountains, okay? So he's, at, he's actually telling, he's, he's raising the bar and saying, look, don't go for the big. Go for the impossible. Because nothing's impossible for those who believe. In fact, that's the very next verse I'm going to say. Look at this. Mark 9, 23. Everything is possible for him who believes. Everything. No qualifications. Not some things. Every single thing is possible. Nothing's impossible. There are no limits on God. Listen, I want us to be a mountain-moving church, <laughs> so to speak. Why not just go for it? I'm talking about individually, but also corporately. Like, if nothing is impossible for him who believes, why don't we just believe crazy things? Why not, is my question to us. Because if Jesus Christ is telling us to, we have nothing to lose. I would rather stand before the Lord one day, okay, just hypothetically in him say, you know what, David, you expected me for just a little too much. You had a little too much faith. How many of you would rather have that rebuke? Because, and guess what? I guarantee you that won't be a rebuke. You know why? Because he actually tells us to believe these crazy things. Do you know what, do you know what the one rebuke Jesus says over and over and over in the Gospels, what is it? Ye of little faith. That's what I'm fearful of. Standing before the Lord and him saying, you know what I called you to? You know what I called you to? To save this nation, to do this. And be like, whoa, but I was scared. I didn't, right? No way. I would rather have him say, you, way, you believe me for way too much. That is not going to be... <laughs> He's going to commend you for that crazy stuff you believe for. You just read, you know, you read Hebrews 11. The whole chapter is the hall of faith. And he just goes through the whole Bible. He's like, you know, so-and-so, Moses, Abraham, all these people that we all know of. And he commended them for the faith. You know what he says at the very end? The very last two verses, 39 and 40, I believe. He says, all of these people were commended for their faith, even though they died not having seen the promise. Okay. Why am I saying that? Because we're going to be held accountable for whether we're faithful till the end. And why he commended them over and over, some of them were sawed in two, they were tortured, but he said they had great faith because they didn't waver and they went to the end, believing even though they didn't see the fulfillment. So what's the worst that could happen if we believe God for these crazy things? It doesn't happen. Now, what's the best thing that could happen? It actually happens, right? But you know what's important is that we believe him for the crazy things and we keep believing him for the crazy things until the end. And if we do, even if we don't see it, he's going to commend us. That's what great faith is. The problem is, we have, what, 70, 80, 90 years that the word Lord uh, wavers until we die in this life. 
And you go, how many of you have been believers for a few decades? It doesn't get easier, does it? <laughs> no, right? Because, you know, you do the mundane life thing, and it's like, oh, I haven't seen the Lord do it yet. And, you know, I had these awesome promises. Haven't seen them yet. It's been a few decades. It's, then your expectancy goes low, doesn't it? What God loves according to the scripture, is that you would believe him till the very end, even if you don't see it. And you're still going to be commended for the faith. He says it twice in Hebrews 11, 13 and, and 39, I believe, that they went to the end, didn't see the promises, but God commended them for it. So let's just believe God for the crazy, for the impossible, okay? Everything's possible for those who believe. Why don't we believe God that not only, okay, Canada, that's, that's pretty big. There's, what, 80,000 years? Why don't we believe Ottawa will be saved? Why not? Why stop there? Why not Canada? Why not the world? 100% Christian. Because why not? Like I said, what's the worst that could happen? is that it doesn't happen, but then you get commended for believing such a crazy thing, okay? So let's just blow the limits off God and believe him for the crazy, and you know what's the best that could happen is it'll actually happen. I mean, it's a win-win, really. It's a win-win. Now I'm going to pray a prayer over us. How many of you have heard me talk about the apostolic prayers before? Okay, I love these. And that's why I love advertising when I get a chance. So you guys notice I talk about them a lot, <laughs> fit them in here and there. But the reason I love them is because they're, pre now they're pre we get a glimpse into how the apostles prayed, like Paul. That's what they are, the, the, the prayers in the Bible. And you know what I loved about Paul? He prayed for and believed for crazy things. Like he was really bold. And you see those in his prayers. Like he's like, man, Paul, I wouldn't even think of praying these things. So what I love about this, how many of you remember 2 Corinthians 1.20? All of God's promises are yes. So why not take, you know, what else I love about these? God was like, I like that prayer so much, I'm going to canonize it forever in Scripture. God likes these prayers. So why not take them, pray them for yourself, pray them for your loved ones, pray them for your church, pray them for your city, pray them for everyone. Why not? Because the answer is yes to them, says the Bible, right? Says God. So. This is Ephesians 3, 14 to 21, and I'm going to just pray this over us, and then I'm going to highlight a couple of things. So, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. That's a key. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I'm going to pause this prayer for a second. Look at this last sentence, what he's praying. That you, each one, would be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Okay, 
Think about this. How many of you can even comprehend what the fullness of God is? Can any of you even comprehend what that is? Apparently, because Paul prayed this, we're supposed to pray it and believe that God's going to fill us with the full measure of him. No limits. So whatever you've experienced in God, there is always more. Because until you're filled with the fullness of him, then you haven't arrived. <laughs> now, I, I'm... I'll start. Okay, pause is off. Okay. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Okay. I asked you the question, what is the fullness of God? What does the fullness of God look like? Now, that seems like a pretty bold prayer, right? That you'd be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. That seems pretty bold. The very next sentence, look what Paul says. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. What? Think about what he's saying. Apparently, there's more than being filled with the full measure of God. Because that's what he's asking for. And he's saying now he's able to do more than that. He's able to do more. Like, what does that even look like? What does that even mean? More than the full measure of God being filled with. It's, it's wild. This is what I'm saying. This is the Bible. <laughs> right? We all went, raised our hands earlier saying we believe this stuff. You know? This is actually the Bible. This is how Paul prayed. So why not pray this for us? You know, look what he says. According to his power that's at work within us. Can you go to the last slide? I want to show you something. Talking about the presence-driven life. Talking about the Holy Spirit. Look at this. With the power through his spirit in your inner being. That is the key. He says, through that power that the Holy Spirit is working in you, that's how this is possible. Because then look in verse 18. He says, may have power together with all the saints to grasp a wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. In other words, they saw the power of God synonymously with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit was the power of God. Okay? And that's, notice, that's how we praise over and over. Through the power of the Spirit. Through the power of the Spirit. Now to him who's able to do measurably more than all you ask or imagine according to what? His power that's at work within you through the Spirit. Through the Spirit in the context. Holy Spirit. That's why I want to do a series on the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's presence. We're going to get all into that. But he is the key. That's why it's a satanic attack against the church to try and marginalize the Holy Spirit for all these centuries. It's demonic. Because he is the key to the Christian walk. The Holy Spirit is the key to the Christian walk. And that's why, you know, you guys, we talked about this presence-driven life for a couple sessions at the beginning of the year. And then I went into the Finish the Kingdom of God series. Because that was laying a foundation of this very thing. Not only is it laying the foundation for us to understand the whole New Testament, it's a foundation for us to understanding who we are as God's eschatological people, end-time people, through the Spirit, living the life of the Spirit, now in the present evil age, showing people what heaven's like by the power of the Holy Spirit. So believe it or not, that was just building a foundation for what we're going to talk about, because we're supposed to be a people of the presence. We're that's, remember what I was saying earlier, that's the one thing that defined the, the children of Israel, that's the one thing that defines us in the New Covenant, is the people of the presence of God. The people of the presence it's an important, that's why it's such an important theme. 
So like I said, why not believe for crazy things? Like, just think about what Paul says here. Now, think, apply it to your own life. Think about some, like, what, dream big right now. I want you to dream big. What's the biggest thing you can see God doing in your life? The biggest thing. No limits, right? If money wasn't an issue, if whatever wasn't an issue, all these things we use to say, okay, that could never happen. Think about what's the biggest thing you could see God using you for. Okay, think about this. You're thinking too small. Why? Because he says he can do beyond what you can imagine. He can do beyond what you can ask for. And he will. That's why he's praying about this. He will. So there's no limits on God. You know, and like I said, expectation. Sometimes we get prophetic words and decades go by. We're like, man, we haven't seen it yet. That must, and then we can get into the whole mindset of, oh, well, you know, maybe that wasn't true. Maybe that person missed it. I'm getting too old. Think about this. Abraham was 75. And God says, you're going to have a child. Sarah was way too old to have a kid. In fact, she laughed at God for that. He was a hundred before the fulfillment came. Unless you've waited 25 years and you're a hundred for something that's impossible, right? He's the father of our faith. We're supposed to continue looking back to Abraham because it says he's the father of our faith and God credited to him as righteousness because he believed. He had the audacity to believe God for this crazy thing that could never happen in the flesh. And he's the father of our faith. I'm getting a restart required button. But hopefully that won't happen. If it does, I might need to steal that iPad from you. Okay, so now that we're believing God for the impossible, this is what I wanted to get at. Prayer according to Jesus Christ. This is what changed my life. When I got a hold of this portion of scripture that I'm about to share with you, it changed me forever. That's why I love preaching this. Because it's so impacted me. It's so transformed my life. And my prayer is that each and every one of us would be impacted. If we actually grasp, think about if we grasp, just even the scriptures I shared just up until now. What that'll do in our lives. Crazy. Crazy. So this is from Luke 11, 1 through 13. How many of you would like it if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, appeared to you and taught you how to pray? <laughs> Come on. It's a rhetorical question. I hope you'd all want that. I have good news. This whole portion of Scripture is Jesus answering his disciples' question, how do we teach us how to pray? <laughs> we get a glimpse into how Jesus Christ, the Son of God, taught us how to pray. So this is such a crucial portion of scripture. It's so crucial. And you know, what happens is, okay, so this is Luke 11, verse 1. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Now, verse 2 to 4, he gives the Lord's Prayer. We all know the Lord's Prayer, right? How many of you know the Lord's Prayer? That's great. I love the Lord's Prayer. 
But because we all know it, and we've been praying it for thousands of years, that's not what I want to emphasize. What I want to emphasize is what typically gets neglected, is what he says after the Lord's Prayer. Because for some reason, we read the Lord's Prayer, and then you stop. And, but Jesus didn't stop at verse 4. He kept going teaching about prayer. Okay? And that's what I want to emphasize today. So I'm skipping verses 2 and 4 for that reason. Because the Lord's Prayer is teaching us what to pray, content, after he teaches us how to pray. And you're going to see there's actually three dimensions of prayer. That Jesus says, if you want answered prayer, this is what you need to do. Okay? So verse 5, look at this. He says a parable. And this parable is relevant. It's not some random parable. It seems random, but you'll see why it's so significant. He says, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers him, Don't bother me. The door is already locked. And my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. Verse 8. This rocks me every time. This is Jesus Christ saying this, okay? Just remember that. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Jesus is saying, what's the key here? shameless audacity. We need to be, according to Jesus Christ, shamelessly audacious in prayer. Think about what this guy did. In the middle of the night, he goes to his friend's house in the middle of the night. Now you have to understand, they all slept. The whole family slept in one room at the time and they're animals. He wakes up his entire family and the animals to ask for bread. And look at this guy. You can tell he's frustrated. What are you doing? I am in bed. My kids are in bed. Right? And what does Jesus say? Well done. He doesn't say that literally. But that's what he's saying. Because that guy was so shamelessly audacious, because he was so bold, some versions say, his friend's going to give him as much as he wants. Now, think about how we pray in our culture. Now, now all prayer is good. I want to emphasize. All prayer is good. But what's the most common way you see people pray? Heads bowed, eye, right, eyes closed, thinking in your mind. That's fine. I don't want to mock that at all. It's fine. Does that look like shameless, audacious prayer, though? No. No. What does shameless, audacious prayer look like? Going in the middle of the night and waking up a family to get what you want. Right? It's doing something that people on the outside say, that's pretty audacious, that you would wake up your friend to do something like that. And Jesus is like, good job, buddy. That's how you're supposed to be in prayer. You're supposed to be like that. This is Jesus telling us this. Looking crazy, doing the crazy stuff. Jesus commends it. Okay? And we need to remember that. 
that we're supposed to be shamelessly audacious. Now, I just want to give you a definition. This is from the dictionary. I just looked it up this morning from a few different dictionaries. What's the definition of audacious? Showing a willingness to take surprisingly bold risks, one dictionary said. Intrepidly daring, recklessly bold, fearlessly, often recklessly daring and bold is how Jesus says we need to be. Not only that, we need to be shameless about it. You know, these, these people in the, you know, healing revival did the craziest stuff. How many of you heard of Smith Wigglesworth? Did you know that guy kicked a baby, a dead baby off the stage and the baby was raised to life? He kicked the baby. <laughs> that is audacious. Who kicks a baby unless the baby raises from the dead? right? He punched, he used to punch people. You know why? He was healed. He had a stomach tumor, I believe, and someone punched him and got healed. So he had faith for it. Talking about expectancy. So whenever someone had a stomach issue, he would literally punch them and the guy was, they would be healed every time. Punch them. That is audacious. Now I'm not telling you to go punch people. <laughs> I need to say that. I'm not telling you to kick babies. But think about how audacious that is. And God met them at that crazy faith they had. Crazy. How many? I better move on. <laughs> Got too many stories on that one. Now this is a key here. Okay. If that wasn't a key, here's a key. He goes on. This is verse 9 through 10. So I say to you, look at this, ask and it'll be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And then he repeats himself. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and the one who knocks, the door will be opened. How many of you can see these are three absolutely different things? These are totally different things. These are three completely different things. And I repeated that for a reason. Because often we read this and we don't, we just, you know, it's like that with a lot of scriptures. We just read it. And we're like, oh, that's nice. And you just move on. and don't even think about it. Jesus is saying, if you want answered prayer, you need to do these three things. This is Jesus teaching us how to pray, right? Seeking is totally different from knocking. And that's totally different from asking, okay? Now, often we just think of asking, and that's part of it. Don't get me wrong. That is a part of it. But that is not all of it. And until we do these three things, we're going to have a lack of answer prayer, I believe, because Jesus is saying you need to do these things. Now, I want you to think about the parable. These three things were in the parable. It's not a random parable. The guy went seeking for bread. He knocks on his friend's door, and he asks him for bread. Okay? He is using that to illustrate this important principle that you need to do three things. You need to do these three things. Okay? Now, it's four o'clock. If anyone has to go, I'm not offended, but I'm going to keep going. I'm serious. So if you got to go, I am absolutely not offended. Please just, like, I'm just, I'm being honest because I'm going to finish this. Because this is such an important message to me. And so if you can bear with me and with these pews and with the time... But if you got to go, I, okay, I'm just being honest. I totally understand. I just wanted to say that because 
I have, I, 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 I want to continue on this. If you got to go, anyone. I'm going to emphasize these three things, okay? Asking, seeking, and knocking. Give you scriptures on them. Because they're so important, we need to do all three, okay? So we all know what asking is, don't we? I mean, we think of asking as prayer, right? Most of us, that's what we think of. Like, okay, we ask God for things. Now, that's a part of it. And I'm going to just show you some crazy scriptures on asking, okay? Just to raise some faith. Because if you remember, when I started off on this message, I already gave you some. But I'm going to keep going because that's not it. Those aren't the only promises on asking, okay? So let's just build our faith. Let's raise our expectations. And like I said, I encourage you to write these scriptures down and meditate on them and declare them and believe them and say them and speak them until they become a reality in your life until you actually expect them. This is John, I love this one. First John 5, 14 and 15. This is the confidence that I, we have in approaching God. Now look at this. Remember, all of his promises are yes. That if we ask anything, according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Anything. Okay, this is reminiscent of some of the ones I already talked about. But what I want to say here is notice he says according to God's will. And a lot of people get tripped up on this because they're like, well, how do I know it's God's will? Remember 1 Corinthians 1.20. All of his promises are yes in Christ. So all you need to do is look in the Bible and say, yes, God's will is that everyone gets healed. Yes, God will provide all of my needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. Yes. So we know, that's why I love praying the scriptures. Pray the Bible, pray the apostolic prayers because they're going to get answered. Yes. All we have to do is say, amen. Okay? So that's why when you have a need, what promise are you standing on? What promise, scriptural promise are you standing on? If you guys remember last summer when I talked about like healing and the authority in Christ, I gave you a whole bunch of scriptures and that's why. All you need to do is stand on the word of God and he promises that he'll come through. John 15, 7 through 8. Again, this is Jesus Christ talking. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, look at this, ask whatever you wish, whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. Look at why. This is to my father's glory, answered prayer. That you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. Look at why he wants to answer our prayer. To glorify God that we bear much fruit and show that we're his disciples. Answer prayer is how that gets done. And what else I want to emphasize is whatever you wish. Ask whatever you wish. Why I'm saying that is because there's a misconception that if it's something we want, God won't answer that's selfish. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Jesus Christ is saying, whatever you wish, ask for it. Whatever you wish, not some things you wish, whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. Talk about asking, okay? Look at, the, here's another promise, the next verse. You guys will probably recognize this, Psalm 37, 4. Take delight in the Lord in what? He will give you the desires of your heart. 
your desires, whatever you wish, it'll be done for you. It is not wrong to pray for things you wish. And you know what I believe? There's a double meaning to this. Not only will he give you those desires, in other words, he's going to plant them in your heart. He's also going to grant them. He's going to plant them and grant them. What do I mean by that? If you have a heart to go to Africa, South Africa, and preach the gospel, you think the devil gave you that desire? No way. Would it be an educated guess that God gave you that desire? Right? Because we, all we need to do is delight in the Lord, and he gives us those desires. If you, if you desire to preach the gospel, it's the Lord giving it to you, probably. And that's why if you don't know what God's will is for your life, what's in your heart? If money wasn't an issue, if whatever, time wasn't an issue, if age wasn't, all these reasons we give why it's impossible, what's in your heart just thinking like, okay, without any of these limits, it's probably God. Not 100% guaranteed, but probably God. It's a good way to know God's will for your life. Okay, so just remember that if you have it in your heart, whatever you wish, God will answer it. Jesus says, this is John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give it to you. And last but not least, John 16, 23 to 24. In that day, you will no longer ask me anything. Look at this. Very truly, I tell you, my Father will give you whatever. Let's say it again. Whatever. Whatever you ask in my name. Now look at this. This is a key. Until now, you have not asked me for anything in my name. He's saying that's why you haven't gotten anything. Right? It's pretty simple. You haven't gotten because you haven't asked yet. And often we're like, hey, why bother asking? Because God knows what we need. But no, that's a huge part of prayer. We actually need to, through relationship, ask God for it. And look at this. And, and you will receive it and your joy will be complete. It's for your joy. God wants to answer prayer, to glorify his name, to bear much fruit, and to give you joy. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. He actually likes joy. Go figure so asking is a good, and it's an important thing, but I, again, I'm just sharing those ones so you can take them home and bank them on them. But look at this. Now, what is seeking? Seeking is such an important principle of prayer in the Bible. It is so important. There are so many scriptures I could give you on seeking. And Jesus, how many of you know of Jesus? Now, I want to say this. You know, in the, the verb in asking, seeking, knocking, it's a continuous verb. So, it's, so a better translation would have said, ask, keep on asking, seek, keep on seeking, knock, keep on knocking. Okay? I just wanted to say that because it's active pursuit, continual, not just a one-time thing. But seeking is an active pursuit. That is the key of what, that what you're believing God for. Think about seeking. You're actively pursuing what you're asking God for. It's the active pursuit element. The guy went actively in the middle of the night, walked to his friend's house to ask for bread. It's the active pursuit. Now, I want to give you some examples of what this might look like. Okay? Because this is so important. Well, practically, what does seeking look like? Think about this. Say you want greater breakthrough in healing, ministry. You want to pray for people, they get well. Okay? But you haven't seen it yet. So, 
you might be like, God, what's the deal here? Your Bible, I can see the scriptural promises when I lay hands on the sick, they'll recover. So why haven't I seen it yet? What might seeking look like in that context? Think about this. Actively pursuing the breakthrough. I'll just name some. Going to conferences on healing. Listening to sermons on healing. Reading books on healing. Asking people who have breakthrough to pray impartation for you. Right? Actively pursuing what you're seeking after. So, how many of you have ever wondered, when you, how, how many of you have gone to a conference and you just got rocked? How many of you wondered why it seems like God is really on conferences? I'm going to tell you what my opinion is based off this. Like Toronto, for example, how many of you have been at a conference there? You go there and there's hundreds of people from all over the world coming to meet God. Think about this. Getting on an airplane, driving a whole long way. They are seeking after something, aren't they? In other words, they're praying. Because think about it. We don't think of seeking as prayer, do we? But Jesus says this is praying. When we get on that airplane and go to Toronto, we are actually praying. And God is answering a whole bunch of prayers because so many people are seeking him. Right? So just think about, I don't want to confine seeking to anything. It can look like different things. But remember, it's actually actively pursuing it. That's why a lot of... Prophetic words. A lot of people are like, hey, this never happened. And you're sitting on a couch waiting God for him just to make it happen. You need to actively do stuff. You need to actually do, when God tells you to do something, do it, or else you won't see the fulfillment of them. We have a part to play. But seeking is an important part. I'm just going to give you a couple of scriptures on this. Look at this, Hebrews 11.6. I love this. This is talking about Enoch. This is in the Hall of Fame of Faith. Look at this, We're talking about faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Impossible. Impossible. <laughs> okay, now look at this. Because anyone who comes to him must, first of all, believe that he exists. And, there's two things here, that he's a rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. In other words, you actually have to believe that he's going to reward your seeking. You have to believe it. Otherwise, it's impossible to please him. Isn't that what it's saying? Unless you believe he's going to reward you for seeking him, earnestly seeking him, that's part of faith. The earnest seeking. The earnest seeking. Diligently seeking, others' translations say. And this is a perfect illustration of this. Jesus teaches on prayer again. This is in Luke 18 now. How many of you recognize the persistent widow? Think about this persistent widow. Now look how Jesus starts off here in verse 1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. To show them that they should always pray and not give up. This is about not giving up now. Okay? So he goes on to tell the story. Most of us know of it. This widow keeps coming to this unjust judge over and over 
and over and over and over and over and over. Okay, she, does, she just, just keeps coming to him. Okay, over and over. Now look at what the, finally, the unjust judge in verse four says, for some time he refused. This, okay, he's talking about answered prayer. But finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I'll see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. (laughs) That was a bold widow. Look at verse 6. This is Jesus talking now. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Okay? And will not God, now he's saying this is how we're supposed to pray to God. Bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. Look at this. Look at this. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith in the earth? Jesus is liking, liking, likening, rather, The persistent widow's persistence of not giving up. Think about it. That's how he defines faith. is going to God over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. Until you get the breakthrough. And that is what faith is. Is that not wild? Because a lot of people will say, if you ask God once for something, it's not faith if you ask him again. How many of you have ever heard of that? That is totally the opposite of what Jesus is saying here. He's saying, no, actually, you know what faith is? It's going over and asking God over and over and over and over again until you actually get it. 25 years, Abraham. Asking, seeking, knocking continuously. Right? Over. That's what faith is. I'm going to end the seeking on this verse. You all know it, but for some reason we stop. Just like after the Lord's Prayer, we often stop. But he doesn't stop. This is Jeremiah 29, 11 to 14. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and, I'll, and come and pray to me and I'll listen to you. Look at this. He's talking about prayer. Didn't he? He just said, and pray to me. Verse 13, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. I'll be found by you, says the Lord. Seeking is so important. You see that, right? You need to seek him with all of your heart. Then you will be found by him. Active pursuit. Now the last element of prayer, knocking. What is knocking? (laughs) It's not as easy to find verses on knocking as it is seeking and asking. So I'm going to tell you what my opinion is based off of what we just read. Talking about Luke 1 to uh, 13 now. Remember what Jesus says. Verse 8. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your 
shameless audacity, he'll get up and give you as much as you want. I believe that knocking is the shameless audacity element, the posture of heart, the boldness. Why? Because that's how he said, the guy knocked on his friend's door and woke up his whole family and Jesus says, well done, essentially. (laughs) You're going to get all the bread you want because you were so shamelessly audacious. Now, the problem is there is sometimes on the surface, some people who have great faith, it looks like pride. Even David's brothers accused him of being prideful, didn't they? But, so we're not talking about arrogance here. That's the thing. We don't want you to start getting arrogant with God, like he owes you something. But shameless audacity, God actually tells us, is how we need to pray. The crazy. You know, what does that look like? It can look like different things, but it surely looks like audacious prayer. Coming to God with promises in hand and saying, God, your word says this, therefore I believe it. Without a shadow of a doubt, this is what you want for me. This is your will. You say to eagerly desire the greatest gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, 31. The greatest gifts. Eagerly desire the greatest gifts. So I'm going to do it because your word says it. So I just eagerly desire, fill in the blank, prophecy. Distinguishing between spirits. Whatever it is. The greatest gifts. It's an imperative. Okay? So. If we need to be shamelessly audacious, according to Jesus, how many of you know we need to be shamelessly audacious? I think that's a, a key element that's often missing in prayer. Boldness. Boldness. I want to encourage us all to be bold in prayer, to actively pursue whatever it is you're seeking God after and to actually ask him for it as well. Now, because of, I'm going to just finish this. This is, the prayer, this is Luke 11, 1 to 13. I was going to tell a testimony, but I, I'll end because... It's already late, but 11 to 30. Look how Jesus finishes this. Is he still teaching on prayer? Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Wow. Jesus is basically provoking us that if we ask for the Holy Spirit, he's in in fact, he's, hey, guys, just ask for the Holy Spirit and God's going to give them to you. Ask for more of the Holy Spirit and God's going to give them to you. God is going to give them to you. Now look at, he says, he's not going to give you something evil. He's not going to give you a scorpion. He's not going to give you something stupid that you don't want. He's going to give you something good. If you ask him, and that is the key. We want to, we're talking about a presence-driven life. We're talking about encountering God. We're talking about the impossible. The Holy Spirit is the key. That's why Jesus in his teaching on prayer says, this is how I'm ending it. Ask for the Holy Spirit. God's going to give him to you. That's a promise that you can bank on. Okay? And all I will say is when I got a hold of this, I have a whole testimony. This transformed my life when I actually got a hold of it and went for it. Okay, because I alluded to two scriptures. 1 Corinthians 12, 31 says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. That word actually means zealous, jealous, covet the greater gifts. Then he repeats himself. 1 Corinthians 14, 1. 
Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Which is why I'm grateful we're going that route this year. Getting prophecy going in this church. More than we have been. Okay? When I actually, wait a minute, God, you're, this is an imperative. <laughs> it's not a suggestion. You actually tell us to eagerly desire the greater gifts. I'm just going to go for it. And a long story short, I sought after God every day for two months for more of the Holy Spirit, just being bold about it. God, you say to eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, so I eagerly desired gifts of knowledge, gifts of wisdom, healing, prophecy. I would just list all of them. Three months went by. One night, this is the short version. God, this is 10.37 p.m., February 2nd, 2007, 10 years ago. I'll never forget. It changed my life. God speaks to me when I was praying, open your mouth and speak. And somehow I knew he was talking about tongues. I don't know how I knew it. I just knew it. And I couldn't speak in tongues before that. I knew it. So I was like, so in my mind, I say, God, but I can't speak in tongues. <laughs> right? And he just ignored me. He just repeated himself and said, open your mouth and speak. I'm by myself in my apartment. I'm like, okay. So I just open my mouth and out come tongues just flowing out. Right? And I was like, Whoa, this is crazy. I was like, I'd never, anyway. That night, I ended up having a five-hour encounter. And one of the most critical things that happened to me is that for about 45 minutes to an hour, the Lord gave me interpretations, and I wrote them all down. And it was like 13 or 14 pages, and it was some of the most life-changing to this day. One of the most life-changing encounters ever. Okay, that's what changed my life, 180 degrees. 180 degrees. It was after that encounter, I was like, God, I'll give you my life. Totally, I mean. Like, I, I was a Christian, but I just mean, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And he took me up on that. And that started a season of life-changing encounters. One after another, after another, after another, after another, after another, for like six months. Stuff I had never even heard of. Why am I saying this? Nothing's impossible. We are called to be a presence-driven church. We are called to be a temple of the Holy Spirit. We're called to, for, to seek for more. And we have, per, not only do we have permission, we have promises about it. So let's go for it. How many of you want to go for it? Why not? Let's be, like, we could be the next uh, whatever church. Toronto. <laughs> we could be the next whatever church. Why not? The Holy Spirit move in such a way that the nations will come. Nothing's impossible. Why not in your individual lives? Right? Let's go for it. As a congregation, as individuals, let's just go for it. Let's blow the limits off of our limitations, raise our expectations, believe God for the crazy stuff. Okay? So I'm just going to pray. Sorry I went way long. <laughs> went on some tangents there that I didn't expect to. And we just pray for healing on your bottoms <laughs> from the hard pews. <laughs> It was a joke, but maybe not. <laughs> All right. Father, we just thank you so much for your presence. We thank you so much for your glory. We thank you so much that everything is possible for those who believe. Lord, we're believing you for the impossible. We're believing you that we are going to be a presence-driven church. We're believing you that miraculous healings, unfathomable healings and miracles are going to happen in this very place. Father, we thank you so much that each and every one here is a world changer, that we are all called to spread your kingdom everywhere we go. And Lord, I just 
ask that you blow off our limitations, that you raise our expectations, that you actually get us to the point where we believe. If we say to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea, and don't doubt in our hearts that we will have whatever we ask for you in prayer. Make us a people who just go for it. Like there's no limits. Like we actually believe that you're able to do above and beyond all we ask or imagine. Let's forget about what's behind and press on towards what's ahead. Father, help us to have the faith to press on for what's ahead, to attain that high calling in Christ Jesus that you've called us to. Lord, let us be a people where when people come, they just encounter you like crazy, that we'd be amazing stewards of your presence and that we would just not be ashamed to be audacious, but that we would be audacious and that we would be bold and that we would seek you for the impossible and we would ask you for the impossible and that we would have no shame about it because you tell us to be shamelessly audacious. Give us a greater revelation of what that's like. Let this be an encountering church where we encounter you, a people of the presence, a people for your name, a people who glorify your name and actually learn how to host the presence of God as the temple of the Holy Spirit that we're called to be. Help us on this journey to seek after more of you, that nothing's impossible for those who believe. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you for staying with us.